those of you who don't know me, my name is Wanda Morgan. I've been a member of this church for quite a while now. And uh, Pastor Dick and I have been involved in doing a five-series lesson on parenting. And this is the fifth one, so I'll spend a little time reviewing the lessons that Pastor Dick went over. And um, the key biblical truth, again, is godly parenting flows from a heart of love and personal maturity. So we have two different factors we're going to be looking at. But to just introduce myself a little bit, um, I'm a retired psychologist. I used to teach developmental psychology at the college level. I have had 54 years of practice at parenting. My daughter and her husband, my daughter Sherry's here, which was a complete accident. Uh, when Pastor Doug said, or Dick said, uh, Doug is my husband, by the way. Pastor Dick said, uh, would you do this lesson? I said, sure. And then I realized about a week or so later, it was going to be the weekend that they're going to be here. We went to see Sweeney Todd last night, which is a great play, but a horrible story. <laughs> so uh, probably my greatest qualification for giving this lesson is I have made 54 years worth of mistakes in my parenting career, some of which I've learned from and some of which I have not and still do over and over again. <laughs> okay. Uh, but my b belief is being a parent is one of the most difficult jobs to really, really do well on the planet. And it's one of the ones that has the most reward as the outcome. So we're going to share some of that. So if we look at the next slide, we'll look at the things that we have looked at already. Uh, the four lessons that Pastor Dick gave was the goal of parenting is to help our children to become like Jesus, not to just follow rules. Preparation for parenting is to be growing ourselves to be like Jesus, so we can say, do as I do, not that old, do as I say. The environment for parenting is developing attachment with our family and our children and, a, and being in a godly Christian community, because those attachments are what change us as well as our children. And the balance of parenting is integrating the use of our attachment relationship with our children, as well as our authority over them, and not just doing one or the other. So uh, we're going to today, we're going to look at what we need to do to overcome the things, these, these past temptations, I'm going to go through a list of the ones we've looked at already. But what are some of the, uh, we're going to look at a couple of new ones, but we're also going to look at what are a couple of principles that can help us overcome all of them. Okay, so these are some of the temptations we went over in the past. We want our children to make us look good. Oh, look at that great little kid, and their mom and dad must be wonderful. <laughs> we want our compliant children. So we say, get ready for bed, they get ready for bed. <laughs> we want to follow the, mo mo we, we follow the motto, do as I say, not as I do. I remember having my mom actually say that to me before. Uh, another temptation, being willing to settle for external compliance rather than internal character development. As long as I do it, it's okay. Um, judging other people when their kids aren't doing as well as mine did today, uh, you know, because we can be proud. Um, so those are some, wait, I think, okay. We always have technical difficulties. Okay, using our power and authority to get our own way to make sure our children do what we want, to ensure our success, and to keep our kids in their place. 
do as I say. And to be an authoritarian parenting, parent using all of our authority without any relationship, these are the ones Dick talked about last week, and being a laissez-faire parent, I'm gonna just be their friend. And if they like me, that counts, and they can do whatever they, they want to do as long as it doesn't bother me. <laughs> okay. uh, and we're gonna look at now at a, an additional two. One is defying spiritual leadership based on religion and not sacrificial love. Okay, and what that would look like is um, maybe leading a lot of devotionals at home. You never miss the devotional before or after dinner. You always make sure your kid is in church and Bible class every single week. They can't miss it all. You um, enforce every rule that God has um, required us to do. So we're adamant they will behave right. But do we really believe that if we just give them all the right information, that that will make them do? We, we believe that if we give them the right information, tell them the right rules, that will make it all work. And we kind of forget about who are they on the inside. The inside. So we'll give you an example of some people that we all are familiar with from the Bible that that did not quite work with. They're called the Pharisees. <laughs> so the Pharisees of all the Jews probably knew the law the best, and they were extremely proud of that. They always attended temple on the Sabbath, and they made sure that the women were in the right place and the men were in the right place and everything went just right. They never violated the Sabbath rules. Jesus, you can't heal that person on the Sabbath, that's wrong. And what did they use all that information for, all that quote obedience for? To get their, get their way and to kill the Messiah. So we can't just settle for that. If, if these rules are used for our selfish goals, that doesn't work. So I wanna talk a little bit about something I've learned from a uh, group of people Doug and I've worked with for years called Life Model Works, and they have a concept uh, dealing with love bonds and fear bonds. So we're going to look at the difference between those two. And if anyone wants more information about the organization, Doug and I were both on the board. Doug was the chairman of the board, and that their work has changed our lives tremendously. So love bonds are based on truth, an emotional closeness, joy, intimacy, and giving to one another. They're desire-driven. I want to be with you. I want to please you. I want to be like you. And they encourage both people to act like themselves. Now that doesn't mean not following guidelines from God. That means, am I an introvert or am I an extrovert? Do I like to play outside or do I not like to play outside? Do I like red or do I like green? It's my favorite color. In other words, I get to be me in the context of this relationship and have those things not tried to be conformed because you should do it this way. However, fear bonds can get compliance, but they don't change the heart. It's a fear bond is based on fear. The feelings that a person that's the less powerful one feels is pain, sometimes physical pain, humiliation, shame, guilt, and one of the biggest ones is fear of rejection. Do we set up a situation as parents that if they don't comply, if they don't make me look good, if they get in trouble at school, I may re they feel like I'll reject them. 
I won't love them anymore. Another one is avoidance driven. It, the motivation of a person in a fear bonded relationship is to avoid pain, negative feelings. Now, I'm going to do it right, so I'm not in trouble. Uh, it inhibits people from acting like themselves, as I mentioned, and it restricts growth, stunts growth, because you're not trying to find out who I am and be all the person I can be and be the one God made me to be and discover what my role on the planet is during my lifetime. You're just trying to stay out of trouble. And that doesn't work very well. Okay. And also a fear bond with someone only works if, if you're fear bonded, it only works when you're there. Because when you're not there, you won't know and I can do what I want to do, which is not the same as having my heart changed to actually believe that this quote set of rules or things that are guidelines are actually better for me. God wants us to be sold on the fact that every single thing he asks me to do is because it's the best thing for me. And we need to, he's not an arbitrary, narcissistic, authoritarian father who joys in being able to control everybody and I get to tell you all what to do and that makes me feel good. And that's not the model we should be as parents at, at either. In fear bonds, um, uh, Josh McDowell says, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And so we, he said that years ago, and that's true. If I don't have a relationship with you, why should I do what you tell me to do? I'm gonna get away with whatever I can, ha ha. And unfortunately, this was part of my childhood church experience. Uh, I remember when I was 10, 12 years old, I, before that, I was taught that it was wrong for boys and girls to swim in the same swimming pool together. That was sinful. Problem was, I was a competitive swimmer. That was the only sport that girls had at the time. So I'm trying to manage something that gives me life and joy and is good for my body and is good for my learning discipline in the world, but being told at some level that it was sinful. So those kind of things don't help kids bond with God in any way. Okay, um, the second new temptation we're adding is failing to step up and act when we should because we're tired or distracted or just overwhelmed. Now, how many of you as parents or not parents can have a day that it's like, I can't do anything else, I'm done. Uh, I remember clearly one time when um, Sherry was a teenager and the other two were like four, six, that kind of age, and Doug was out of town. I've told this story to others before. I have just had it. I can't do this anymore. And they're still awake. <laughs> And looking at the two, the young ones and saying, guess what? We're having Cheerios for dinner tonight. And their faces lit up and they thought that was wonderful. And I had to wash two spoons and two bowls before I put their pajamas on. So there are days that we have to compromise whatever our standards are in ways that might not look so great. But it's important that we, that this is not a pervasive pattern. That just every time we want to do something, we don't just turn the TV on or just send them outside or whatever that is. But we're all gonna be caught in difficult situations. And I don't want you to feel guilty about that. But what I really want to hear you hear all of you, and this is not just for parents, none of this is really just for parents. When you invest in taking care of yourself, meeting your needs, getting your sleep, 
getting your exercise and having social relationships that are meaningful to you, that fills your tank. Now, is it a challenge to balance those things? Yes, but that will fill your tank. And if you don't fill your tank or through self-care, then you don't have anything to give them either. So sometimes, of course, when the child, you get a babysitter and go do something, mommy, I want to go. It's not fair that you get to do so-and-so. Well, of course, they're going to say things like that. But Jesus went away and took care of himself, even in the middle of his ministry. Sometimes that was spending time with his father. Sometimes it was just getting away from all those people that always wanted something from him. So I want to encourage you to look at, are there things in your life that you're doing that maybe aren't that important? Maybe working that extra five hours at work or whatever it is, volunteering on that school committee, that maybe that time might be better spent taking care of something that's meaningful to you. Or that activity might be meaningful enough to you that it's actually filling your, your bucket up. That's what you get to know. But I don't believe God wants us to constantly be in a life position that we're always overwhelmed. Jesus did not do that. And if we do that, we set, up a, we set it up where it's not just occasionally or you know, sometimes that we wanna you know, get away from everything or have Cheerios for dinner, but it's all the time. And then we tend to compromise the things that we really think are important, okay? So those are, and when our children experience us serving them in whatever way we're doing that, because we have the energy to, because we have the motivation to, then they will have their hearts changed to want to be like us. And all the things I mentioned, being too tired, doing it wrong, those are all natural consequences of being human, and we're all going to do it. I could stand here and talk for an entire hour about mistakes I've made, times I didn't do it right, and I was just downright nasty to everybody in my family. And, but we will all do that. So don't let the enemy tell you you're a complete failure. Just pick it up, pick up your toys and play again the next day, okay? So we're gonna look at, at this next section is gonna be looking at a couple, four different things we can do that address all of these, that help us be more prepared for any one of these different temptations. <clears throat> And our scripture verse today shows us our way forward and addresses these. And I want to look first at the scripture that this doesn't give us details about how to do this. I wish it, I wish it did. I wish each one of them, you know, it would you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 1a, be love is patient. And this is how you get to be patient. <laughs> love is kind. And this is how you get to be kind. Unfortunately, it doesn't do that in this passage. But these are the do's always patient, is kind, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So have any, is anyone in the room consistently, every single moment in your life lived up to this standard? Hmm, nope. Will you or will I after listening to this? Nope. Could we read that passage every single morning? and determined that we're going to do it today. How many times have you done that with some passage? I'm going to do this today. And you go to bed and say, oh, Lord, sorry, I didn't. But this is our goal. And the thing is about this list, we will have a better day when we do this. 
this list is not just for them, it's for us. If I'm trusting, if I'm hoping, if I'm persevering for things that are important to me, I will feel better. So we're not just sacrificing for our kids so they have a good life. Okay, and then the next, the list is the don'ts. Um, it does not envy. You get the, it's like the, the little kid says, well, how come he gets the bigger piece? You know, we do that the same way with, with our lives. It doesn't boast, my dad's bigger than your dad. You know, these are the things, the ways kids would do it, but we do it our way. It's not proud, does not dishonor others, calling names, making fun, shaming. I want to mention that dishonoring someone, when we shame a child to get them to comply with what we want them to do, we are dishonoring them. When we tell them they've been wrong and that this is a better way, that's training them, training their heart. But when, you, when we do the bad boy, why did you do that? With the tone of voice and with the words labeling them in some way, we're dishonoring them. And we're self-seeking in that moment. Uh, it's not, love is not easily angered. Well, that's a big one. And there's a difference in feeling angry and doing things out of that anger that we don't want to be doing. Keeps no records of wrongs. I'm madder because they did that the last four days in a row. I can't believe this kid is still doing the same thing. Um, and does not delight in evil. So what a high standard. When, God, when we're supposed to love our children, it's kind of, you feel kind of overwhelmed. Anybody feel kind of overwhelmed when you think you're supposed to do that every single day? Whether it's your spouse or whether it's your husband. Excuse me, my spouse is my husband. <laughs> or your children. <coughs> but this is our goal. Okay. So we're going to look at several things that are consistent with doing these. And uh, the one is to know what is the loving way, and the other is to know how to ex effectively ex execute it. I'm sorry. And there's four critical factors. Um, the next slide. The first one, Oh, excuse me, there's two motivations. To so know it's love. Our motivation, it comes from our heart of love, and this grows as we conform to Jesus' heart. And then the second one is maybe I'm, our personal maturity, possessing the appropriate emotions and practical skills. I apologize, I didn't do that well. Um, our motivation, if we love, we have to love. Which, which the, is the whole passage is about. But the part I'm adding to that is we have to have personal maturity. We have to possess the skills and the emotional maturity to do this. We can't just read the book, okay? When we think about our motivation, we want to help them, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite there yet, sorry. I got messed up in my statement. It's not your fault, Cheryl. <laughs> okay. For our motivation, uh, we want to help them. We don't just want them to look good. We want to help them because they are so special, so precious to us. We want to support them. And when we are connected to our true, what I call and life model calls our true self, the real person we are when we're not under stress, when we're having the best day, when we are really aware of how important people are to us, our true self, we want it for them. And we also grow to the point that we realize we get more joy from doing from them what's right than from doing for us what's right. And then the second 
I'm not sure what slide we're on, <laughs> is our own maturity skills. So we possess, do we possess the appropriate emotional and practical skills we need in this moment? So we're gonna look at um, life model, as I mentioned, the love bonds, fear bonds came from, has a five stage developmental model of if everything in your life went well, and you received all the things you need to see from your community and your parents, you would develop at this stage, this, these things at each stage. The first is infant, the second is child, the third is adult, the fourth is parent, and the fifth is elder. And we're gonna look at the maturity skills that we need to grant gain in order to be able to actually do the things we're talking about. And once again, reading this list isn't gonna have us have them, but it's the goal we're setting before us. An adult, can care for herself and others simultaneously in mutually satisfying relationships. Like, I have to be able to take care of me if I'm gonna take care of you. If I don't take care of me, there's nothing left. And if I do take care of you and you take care of me mutually, we're satisfied. We remain stable in difficult situations, knowing how to re return ourselves and others to joy. So something really hard happens. And the, one of the definitions of maturity is how much stress, how much chaos, how much whatever can happen, and I can still stay calm. It doesn't mean I have feelings, don't have feelings but I don't explode over them. Um, the next one is they have bonds with their peers and develop a group identity. We have a group that we're part of. We act like this. Uh, and we have bonds with peers. And one of the things that having bonds with peers does help you as a parent is it gives you some, a team, somebody to help you out and somebody you can help out in theirs. Okay, the fourth one is take responsibility for our, how our personal actions reflect other people, affect other people, and we protect other people from ourselves. Imagine when we think about the world today, how much different the world would be if everybody knew that one skill. I'm gonna protect all of you from me. What I say, what I do is not gonna hurt anybody. Just that, it may not do anything good for you, but it's not gonna hurt you. Contributes to the community and articulates who we are in, as part of a belonging to a community and expresses the characteristics of his or her heart in a, their own deepening personal style. Okay, now those are pretty amazing. And people are supposed to get, according to this model, they get there about 16 or 17 or 18. <laughs> which doesn't happen, but the parent stage, this is a ne next step up, protects, serves, and enjoys one's family. Protects, serves, and enjoys all of those. They don't just do the hard work, they get the joy from it. Is devoted to taking care of children without expecting to be taken care of by the children in return. I just uh, recently had a conversation with someone who had discovered one of the difficulties they had in relationships being what they call codependent was because every time their mom got upset with their dad, she came and told them all the things that were going on and expressed her feelings about being hurt about whatever dad did. And they were, not, they were an adult before they realized that that wasn't really okay. Um, they provide spiritual parents and siblings for their children, which means they're in a community where, you know, whether it's a family community or whether it's uh, church community that Mrs. Jones or Johnny's mom is also acting in parenting ways so that they get more than just you. 
comes in the last one is learns how to bring children through difficult times and to return to joy from other emotions. We have a lot of emotions that, are, that feel bad. Shame, anger, fear, dis disappointment, disgust. And we're all going to have them. God made them all because they serve a valuable role in our life. What if your child never got afraid? Imagine even trying to keep them alive if nothing scared them. There are children like that, very few of them, but it's very dangerous. So, but when they're afraid, we help them calm down from that and learn the lesson from that situation. Okay. Uh, so these are some of the skills we want to work toward. And if I can, this all came from a book called Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You by Life Model. The second factor is giving, we, we have to distinguish between giving information and training skills. As I mentioned, just having Bible studies and telling the truth doesn't end up changing people. But to, doing that only gives left brain information. I know what to do, but it doesn't change my right brain's reaction to wanting to do it. And um, we can, the left brain can see the rules are being broken, can recite what they're supposed to be, but may or may not have any interest in doing them. So to learn a skill, we need to have models and we have to have practice and we have to have someone to do it with. So think of learning a sport. You know, I'm picking swimming because my family is swimmers. My daughter's also a swim coach, USA swim coach and a lifeguard trainer. So we're real big on this swimming thing. Um, if I wanted my child to, re to learn to swim well and be safe in the water so they wouldn't drown if something happened, I, would I read him a book about famous Olympic swimmers? You know, like Moses and, and you know, all those guys. Just do that. Would I show them videos of a person per perfectly performing each stroke? Would I explain what would happen to them if they sink under the water? Um, or would I just put them in the water and let them see what happens? You wouldn't do that. No, we get in the water with them. We start them really young where they have fun in the water. You, they, you, don't, you don't just, you, they, you let them splash around, you put some in their face, you slowly get them used to being able to put their face in the water. They can't do anything but let you hold them and play with them. We make motorboats around with them. We do all this fun stuff till water feels good. And then as water feels good, then we teach them how to do more and more things. Lay on your tummy, I'll hold you, kick your feet. So we get in there, we do it with them, and we develop what we call muscle memory in sports, which we have the same thing as a cognitive right brain memory. When we get help them get transformed, they do the right thing. We were predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. Um, and one of the examples of this is being able to calm ourselves. One example that we all have to learn, and we need to help our children learn as a skill, is to calm down when we get upset. Um, when we, if we happen to have a parent who did that well with us, our brain has already learned it and we don't really even know how we learned it. But when a child has someone that when they're upset, they get as upset or they actually are abusive, they yell at them, they send them to the room, they smack them in the face. When I'm upset actually becomes a trigger to be even more scared. And if the parent yells, then yelling and then gets hit, that actually trains them to be afraid of you when you yell. So we train the absolute opposite when we can keep our, this is just one skill, we keep our voice calm, look them in the eye, reflect their pain, their anger. 
I get you're so mad that I won't give you any ice cream for dinner, or I won't let you go to so-and-so, or I won't let you watch that TV. I understand that you're mad about it. You get to be mad about that, but we're going to calm down while we're, and then we're going to talk about it. So we, we can, that, that's just one example. We can teach them, a, that's a skill. We can't just say, calm down, unexpected, that's gonna happen. In fact, it actually makes it worse. If we get loud, that triggers their fight or flight response. And now we're punishing them for something, for yelling and getting upset, which is something that God trained their brain to do because it's what part of what keeps us safe, that fight or flight response. So we need to learn those things. We need to train the relational side of our brain because, so it does naturally what God wants. Because like it or not, our right brain will act faster. It will preempt what the left brain knows because all the parts of our brain that save our lives are on the right side. So they, they kick in first. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of stories about how to help what I did with, one of my, with my grandkids. We're at the grocery store one time at their house and we pulled up to the back of the car. They helped me unload the stuff in the car. They got in, we put their seatbelts on and the basket's right here. And I said, what are we gonna do with this basket? And they looked at me like I was crazy. Or we're gonna put it in the rack over there, aren't we, Grandma? And I said, well, why are we gonna do that? It's easier just for me to get in the car. And like, like is Grandma nuts now? What's going on? I said, well, why are we gonna do it? Well, it could roll away and hit somebody else's car. Or and one of the things I said is it could be sitting here in the only parking place and some you know, other person wouldn't be able to park in that parking place. So we kind of talked about that. And I said, so really what we're saying is that our family loves people we don't even know. We don't know whose car that might hit. We don't know who might not be able to get that parking place, but we're gonna love them anyway and put the basket up. Um, <clears throat> another story that we did regularly was when the, this is my son's kids. Uh, we would be, mom would be off at work and I'm babysitting while I was in town and it, the house would be a mess or whatever she'd ask me to do something to get ready for dinner and I would have them start helping me. Why are we doing this? I'd look at them like, I, I, why are we doing this? And they go, uh, we're supposed to. I said, but, but why? And, and we would talk about what is mom gonna feel like coming home from work if the house is all dirty and we didn't do whatever it was for dinner? Bad, she'll be mad, she'll be tired. Well, what is she going to feel like if we do all this stuff? She's going to like it. So we're doing this because we love mommy. And I, I went lots of times when we were doing something, I'd say, why are we doing this? Because we love mommy. Uh, so we, you teach them, and how does it feel to you to love mommy? Like another example is, is having a child make a birthday card for a mom or dad or their brother or whatever. And, you know, they just draw the picture and say, and as you're doing it, talking about how's daddy gonna feel when you give, get, go up to him, put your arms around his neck, give him this card and tell him you love him. How's he gonna feel? And they're, they're all lit up. Yeah, this will be good. And how are you gonna feel? Oh, I like it. Yeah, you know. And then they go do it and they get to experience that. Then the last thing, oh, excuse me, not, not the last one, there's two more, is does it feel good or does it feel bad? Uh, 
we have to learn the reality that we cannot judge whether we are loving someone or whether they cannot judge they're being loved by whether it feels good. Um, for example, we intellectually know this, it did not feel good for Jesus to die on the cross, but it was the greatest act of love in history, but it did not feel good. It didn't feel good for the disciples to see it either, but they were being loved. Uh, it doesn't feel, on a personal level, how many of you remember sound asleep, exhausted, you hear this crying noise from the next room and it's two o'clock in the morning, and what do you do? Okay, I'll go get the baby. <laughs> and if you're, you know, and you go do what they need to do, you don't leave them just screaming, you go do it. But did it feel good to get out of bed and do that? Mm -mm, not at all. So we, ha we know that this principle applies both ways for the child and the parent. For example, we could be doing something that's feeling good to both of us. Like my grandkids always like to have their back scratched, you know, and so I'd be scratching their back and they're happy and I'm happy. In fact, one of the times I was scratching Sherry's son who's now 29 and I, I was scratching and then I sort of started doing it with the ends of my fingers, you know, and he goes, grandma, use your claws. <laughs> But that's still a, a true story we've been telling now. He was probably four then, you know. But it felt, felt good to me to give that, and it felt good for him to receive it. On the other hand, when they're screaming and saying, I just want ice cream for dinner. I'm not going to eat those vegetables. I hate vegetables. And we say, no, you're not going to have that. Does that feel good to them? No. Does it feel good to me to go through that drama? No, it does not. So we, we just have to realize that we are not, we can't judge it by whether we feel good. And we will have times that then whatever version they use, it will be one of two things. I hate you, which for a little kid means I'm angry. And our job is to translate. I get you're really angry. Instead, don't say, hey, I hate you. I get you're really mad at me. We help them translate their reactions to more appropriate language. And you can be at mad at me, but you can't hit me, but you can't yell at me. That's not okay, because, but also that means that we can't yell at them when we're angry either. <laughs> um, or um, the other times they'll say, you hate me. Mommy, you just hate me. You won't let me go to whatever, whatever. And we have to realize that in those moments, we are truly loving them, even though they have no clue at that stage. And we just can't expect them sometimes. We can say it, we can try, they might get it, but if they don't, we still have to do it. And so many times, it would be so much easier in the short term, the short term, note that, to give in. But if you do it in the, if you do it regularly in the long term, the older they get, the bigger the problems happen. The, the bigger the choices they have that they can mess up, and the more it's going to cost you, and the more it's going to cost them. So in those young, messy years, if you, and then when they go through teenagers, they forget everything you told them for a while at some level because their prefrontal cortex is still developing and the brain is being reprogrammed. And so don't think you failed if your kid was so be obedient when he was in, in sixth grade and by the time he got to seventh, eighth grade, you feel like you want to strangle him. It just, it just happens because God, there's a reconfiguration of their brain. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I told Cheryl to tell me because I tend to wander off. There's a reconfiguration of their brain that, that is part of all that. Plus, if your teenager doesn't rebel in some way and say, I, this is me and that's you and I am not you, they may live with you when they're 40 because they need, every one of us has to find out who I am. And some of that is a joyful journey and some of it's a struggle. And I appreciate we have some teenagers here in the room. You know, it's just hard. They're, they're having a difficult, they're changing in their world and they need our help and they need us to be calm through that. So um, and the last one, which is very simple, one of the best questions is in all relationships is when I'm doing this, who is it for? Is this to benefit me or is this to benefit you? And it actually is a significant maturity skill to actually know the answer to that. It, it could be all kinds of ways it might be benefiting me. As in an adult relationship, let's say that I offered, and this is not with your kid, I offered to do something for you, and you said, no, I don't think that would work for me. And I get mad. Wasn't for you. I was going to feel good because I gave you that, or I did that, or I did whatever. And you deprived me of the opportunity to do that, so I'm kind of mad. So learning, that's just an example. Learning when I choose this, is it really for them, or is it really for me? Um, so that is a maturity skill that we all need. Okay. And all the temptations we've listed, the answer to that question is, it's for me. If you go back and read to them again, every single one of them, make me look good, make my life easier, et cetera, et cetera. So some clues that help you kind of figure out if it's for me is, do I care if somebody's watching? Um, am I willing to feel bad, like we just said, if the hard thing results in the best outcome? Do I really want to hear your feelings if they're different than mine? Or do I really want to know you don't want to do what I want to do? Um, will I do it anyway, whether you like me or not? Okay, so those, that last skill is one that we can all be working on all of our lives. So in closing, um, the reality is that when we do what's best for someone else, it's always best for us, even more so when it's our own children. When we love, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there's not a cost. It doesn't mean that it feels good all the time. But in the long run, it's best for us. When we help a child's heart get you know, conformed to what Jesus wants to be, how are they going to treat us differently when we're 71 years old? And they're going to, I have to depend on them to take care of me. How are they going to train my grandchildren? One of the joys I have had is to watch my two children that have children do an amazing job of parenting them and to be able to just relax and see them love those people that I love well. And that's awesome. So we're investing in our future. The other thing, and just remembering um, the words that Jesus said, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's Acts 20.35. And do unto others as you would have them do to you, Luke 6.31. And we should always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere with our verse for today.
So what we need to remember, and this, anything I've said applies to relationships of other people, maturity and skill. And I'm gonna give you a picture of that. If I were driving down the highway um, and there was a car on the, your car is on the side of the road with a flat tire. And am I gonna be of any help to you? I have to have two factors. One, I have to look at you and go, oh, that person's got, you've got a flat tire. I want to, I want to stop and help you. It'll make me 15, 15 to 30 minutes late to where I'm going, but you're worth it. I'm gonna stop and do that, even if you were a stranger. Okay, unfortunately, I could have that heart, but if I stopped, I would be totally worthless because I have no skills. I, I can remember changing a tire like 40 years ago. I have no skill set to help you. I could encourage you. I could stand and wave at somebody else. But I don't have any skills to help with that. So as we proceed in whatever we're doing, we need the maturity and love to want to help, and we need the skill set to need to do it. 